Uh, We're going to read the Bible in a few minutes' time. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one, and that's a a gift you can take home tonight. Uh, You see the team up the back on the white bookshelves, they'll be happy to give you one after the service. Uh, In the meantime, if you don't have one with you, that's absolutely fine. Uh, Jody and Amber have a stack that they'd love to run around and give to you, so if you wake up your hand, they'd love to put a Bible in your hand. Okay, uh, also I'd love for you to uh, join with me as we pray, as we come to God's Word. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this special time, the delight and joy of finishing our weekend together like this and, and now coming under your Word and hearing you speak to us in the power of your Spirit. And so we ask now that as we hear you speak in your Word, that you would Speak to us powerfully of your grace and your kindness and your generosity to us. That we would marvel and wonder at that all over again and have joy in Jesus. We pray in his beautiful name. Amen. I want you to imagine that uh, you've got a spare moment. Now, I know that might be hard to imagine. You've got some spare time. Um, But what you do, what a lot of people do, is you pull out your phone And you start swiping through, just scrolling randomly. And then you think, hey, I'm going to post something on social media. So what do you share? What photo are you going to put up? What moment do you want to capture? What story do you want to tell? Because what we share on social media expresses a lot of how we want to be known. And so let me share this with you. This is uh, a post I put up in uh, November last year. It's my wife Jane and I having an early anniversary lunch for 23 years together, Um, which you can applaud now if you want. That's fine. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, And you know what I did before I put up that photo is I checked the photo. Is it a good photo? Do we look good in that photo? And then afterwards, I was checking how many likes have we got? Nearly 240. And we got 48 comments. Isn't that amazing? So encouraging that everyone liked it and and enjoyed it and it was wonderful. But you know what? Um, There was a a post I I didn't uh, put up, something I didn't share about uh, nearly two months later. And it was this, that I forgot Jane's birthday. Yeah, give me that groan from the congregation. You are right to judge me. It's terrible. How can you forget your wife's birthday? So I didn't post that because it's not going to get many likes. And that is kind of the game of social media, isn't it? We decide what we're going to share and we decide what we're going to leave out. But it's not just the game of social media. It's the game of all of life. Work, family, friends, catching up at the hub, communion group, DCs. What do I share about myself and what do I keep back? What do I hide? And it says a lot about how we want to be known. We share our joys and our triumphs, the things that we want people to know about us. And then there's the things that we feel like we need to hide and protect our struggles, our fears, our anxieties, our insecurities. The Apostle Paul, when he shared his story, he could have talked about how he'd been chosen to be the missionary to the Gentiles by Jesus. And how he'd preached to lots of people and planted churches all over the ancient world. And he'd written a bunch of uh, chapters and books in the New Testament, which is a pretty amazing thing to to pull out at a party and say, hey, um, you might want to read some stuff that I wrote, the Bible. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? And yet when Paul shares his story, this is what he shares. 
Uh, it's not coming up on my phone. Anyway, I can see it on the screen at the back. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. Now I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And then he says again in uh, 1 Timothy, Here is a trustworthy saying, deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. You see, when Paul talks about his story, he highlights, he draws attention to his sin and his failing. He talks about him being the least of the apostles, that he persecuted the church, that he was the worst of sinners. And yet then he says it was his display of God's grace, that it was by the grace of God. He'd been shown mercy. It was a display of his immense patience. So we're about to read Acts chapter 9, which is, as Ben and Lauren kind of hinted at us, this is a life change for him. And you may have heard this chapter many times before. But don't let that kind of wash over you. This is a moment of awe and delight. And so as we read, I want you to let your gaze be lifted and your heart stirred by the grace and the mercy of God. It's a time of awe and delight as we hear that in Acts chapter 9. So Rachel's going to come up and read for us. I'll invite you to open your Bibles or your apps to Acts chapter 9, and we're going to read Saul's story. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there, speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. 
I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Wow, what a chapter, eh? Amazing. I reckon uh, there's a bunch of things we learn about God's grace in this chapter that are so encouraging for us. I've drawn out three. Uh, The first is that Jesus can save anyone. Jesus can save anyone. So you look at verse 1 of Acts 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. That takes us back. Remember Acts chapter 8, that he was there and he approved uh, at the the lynching of Stephen. Uh, And then there was a great persecution that broke out against the church and people were scattered and they preached the good news of Jesus wherever they went. And we saw over the last couple of weeks that the good news of Jesus lit up Samaria and the Ethiopian eunuch's life. But then back in Acts chapter 9, while that was all going on, meanwhile, Saul was still breeding out murderous threats. He hasn't moved on. He hasn't gotten over it. He hasn't calmed down at all. He is still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So just to be really clear there, when it says murderous threats, um, that means he wasn't sitting on the fence. Like he, it wasn't, he was unsure about how he felt about the Christians. He wasn't a seeker. It wasn't that he'd come to church a few times, but he had some questions and things that he was working through. No, he could hardly speak without attacking Christians. What got him up and out of bed in the morning was this passion to destroy the church. 
And it doesn't just get him out of bed. It gets him on the road 190 kilometers north of Jerusalem to Damascus. Verse 2, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So Saul didn't discriminate. He was fair to everyone. He persecuted both men and women. He was an equal opportunity persecutor. This kind of person doesn't get converted, do they? Like, it just doesn't happen. It'd be like Putin becoming a Christian and going to the Ukraine to be a missionary. Imagine that. It'd be like uh, Peter Fitzsimons, who's an atheist and writes in the Herald, him becoming a Christian and now writing opinion pieces about how Jesus is the hope of the world. Is anyone praying for either of those two people? Put up your hand if you're praying for them like that. One person? That's five across the day. And no shame on the rest of you. A little bit of shame on the rest of you, but no, no shame on the rest of you because it just doesn't happen, right? So we don't tend to pray for things like that because we think, oh, it'll never happen. But it did for Saul. Jesus can save anyone. So I want you to take a moment now and think about someone in your life who you think there's no way they could become a Christian. Just won't happen. Maybe you work with them. Maybe you study with them. Maybe it's that neighbor or that annoying uncle. Maybe you're married to them. Maybe they're a, a, a sibling, a, a friend. And you think there's no way they could become a Christian. Have you got someone in mind? Have you given up on them? Or are you praying for them? Because Jesus can save anyone. Or you might say, uh, James, um, I am that person. Um, I'm only here to keep peace at home because a friend kept nagging me to come. Uh, you don't know what I've done. I, I couldn't care less about Jesus in my life. This Christianity thing is not for me. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had front row seat to the lynching of a Christian? Have you been around Borkham Hills grabbing Christians and dragging them out of their homes to take them off to prison? And then you went to Newcastle and did the same thing. Do you hate Christians with every fibre of your being? Because that was Saul. And the grace of Jesus moved him and saved him. So it's no accident that you're here tonight, that you're watching online. It's no coincidence. It's not too late. Jesus can save anyone. And so then we see what it looked like for Saul. And that's the second thing of God's grace. It means you can see Jesus clearly. See, as we've seen, it wasn't like Saul had this kind of openness and leaning towards Jesus. It wasn't kind of slowly moving towards Jesus. He wasn't like the Ethiopian eunuch we saw last week who was sitting in a chariot reading the book of Isaiah and he had lots of great questions to ask. And it wasn't that Saul felt guilty and a bit conflicted internally about the murder of Stephen. No, as we've seen, he was a locked-in, rusted-on, signed-up persecutor of Christians. And then verse 3, have a look with me. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Did you see what happens there? It's not that Saul had a 
emotional breakdown or a crisis of faith. He didn't hallucinate. There were people with him, it says there, who were witnesses to the events. They saw things as well. Now, what happens here is that Jesus breaks in and he sees Jesus clearly. Now, we might be tempted to say, well, hang on, it, it was kind of easier for him because he had a, like, a blinding light and a voice. Like, of course, anyone's going to kind of respond to that. But it wasn't easy for Saul. It, it was hard. And to get this, we need to kind of back up and we need to remember why he was persecuting the church. Remember what uh, Stephen had said in his trial that set everyone over the edge. He said, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That was outrageous. That this Jesus who'd been crucified as a criminal was actually the Son of Man who was standing at the right hand of God in heaven. That was outrageous, intolerable. It was blasphemy. And so they killed Stephen for it. And then Saul breathed out threats against the church and began to drag people off to prison. And in his mind, he's thinking, these Christians who follow this crucified criminal, they need to be stopped. Their blasphemy needs to be silenced. And so Saul goes to Damascus, sincere and genuine, and passionate in his cause. I'm doing God's work. God is with me. God is for me. And then comes that moment on the road. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. See, he was expecting some kind of divine encounter. That's why he says, who are you, Lord? But he wasn't expecting this. I am Jesus, whom you've been persecuting. That's the moment for Saul. That's kind of like the the mic drop for him. Everything that he thought and felt about Jesus, he realized he was wrong. He thought he was faithful, but he was a blasphemer. He thought he was righteous, but he was a sinner. He thought he was on this wonderful, holy crusade, but he was actually a common murderer. This is the grace of God. Jesus breaks into your life and you see Jesus clearly. It's not about the experience, having a a light on the road or a sign in the heavens and the clouds. No, it's this. It's the word of Jesus to you. For Saul, it was, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. For us, it might be that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Well, that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, that Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, that Jesus said, I have come that you can have life and have it to the full. It's all through the New Testament. Jesus' word of grace to you again and again and again. And so what happens when Jesus breaks in and you see him clearly is not that you turn over a new leaf or you're kind of doing better or you get control of your problems or that now you can finally deal with your guilt and insecurity or that you get more involved in church. No, what happens is that you realize that whatever you have thought and felt about Jesus, that he was maybe just a fairy tale or just a good man or just a teacher or a crutch for weak people to hang on to or a killjoy or a life coach or a spiritual guide, whatever you thought about Jesus, you realize it was wrong and you see clearly that Jesus is the Lord, the King, the Saviour. 
That's his grace for you. And then Jesus gives you a new life. Jesus announces it here in Acts. He says, verse 15, what the new life for Saul is. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And we know as we read on the book of Acts that Saul became Paul and he had this amazing missionary life of preaching and planting churches. But there is a moment here in Acts chapter 9 that captures the grace of Jesus to Saul. Because his conversion is so sudden, isn't it? So sudden that three times in the chapter, did you notice, people can't really believe it's happened. Ananias doesn't believe it's happened. The Jews in the synagogue in Damascus don't believe that it's happened. And then the Christians in Jerusalem don't believe it's happened. And I love how Ananias kind of struggles with this. Verse 11 Jesus says to him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So imagine if Ananias had been praying like we said last week that we want to have a daily prayer that, Lord Jesus, will you just bring someone into my path who I can bless, who I can share your good news with? And Ananias is praying that and he gets Saul. <laughs> He gets Saul. And so he says, verse 13, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. It's kind of like he's saying, Lord, when I was praying that you'd put someone in my path, I didn't mean Saul. Like, surely you can't mean Saul. You say, go lay hands on him. I'd, I'd like to do more than lay hands on him. I'd like to hurt him. But Jesus knows what he's doing. He has a plan for Saul's life. Ananias is obedient. He goes to the house. And then comes this moment of God's grace. And I love this moment. Tim Schooler and I were, were talking about it during the week. We, we both kind of missed it until now. And we're just marveling at it. Have a look at verse 17. And Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul... The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from his Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. Did you see the moment of grace? The first thing that comes out of Ananias' mouth is what? Call it out. Brother. Brother. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Brother Saul. The first thing that Saul hears after that moment on the road is brother Saul. That's grace. Because remember what Saul was like when it says that he went in Acts 8, he went house to house, dragging men and women off to jail. Imagine what that'd be like. You're home, home having dinner tonight, just kind of relaxing after a long day, watching something, streaming and just chilling out. And there's a bang at the door and you know who it is. It's Saul and his helpers. So you ignore it, hoping they'll go away. They bang louder. You ignore it. So they kick the door in and they march into your living room. They grab you and drag you, kicking and screaming, down the hallway, out into the street and off to prison. That's what Saul was like. That's what Saul did. But here's grace. Ananias comes to him and he says, Brother Saul, Jesus, who you persecuted, has sent me to bless you. 
And so Saul goes from persecutor to preacher, from enemy to servant of Jesus, from blasphemer to worshiper. This is the grace of God, that he can save anyone. When he breaks into your life, you see Jesus clearly, and then Jesus gives you a new life. And so I love how the chapter ends, verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and increased in numbers. I reckon as we read that, we fear and encouragement, they, they don't really go together, do they? They're, they're the opposites. But it's not terror, it's reverence and awe. The church had this awe at a God that could work like this, that could save someone like Saul. And that's what we should share together. This trembling joy. As we said, our series is called Jesus Continued because Jesus is alive today and he's working amongst us. He is with us. And so as I thought about that this week, I thought about over the nine and a half years I've been here at Chapel Lane and other services, I've heard so many people's stories. Those who've buried a child or a spouse those who've struggled with infertility or depression or anxiety, unemployment, those with someone in their family who has special needs, those who grew up in homes where it was broken because mum or dad had just walked out, those who'd survived painful divorces, those who struggle with same-sex attraction or addiction, And the same Jesus who worked in Acts and strengthened the church is alive today and he is working amongst us and there is grace from him for us every day. And so as I thought about that, I remembered what a special place God's church is. We get to walk with this trembling joy together, this gravity with gladness, this humble delight Because we know that there is always grace awaiting us from our good and gracious Father. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this book of Acts. We love just the spectacular way in which you work so powerfully in the church and people's lives. And it's been such an exciting, inspiring journey this term. And yet we don't want to hold it at arm's length as if it was just a story from the past. Because we know that your son Jesus is alive today and working today. That he is with us in the power of his spirit. We know that he is sharing his grace and his kindness with us. And so we want to thank you for all that you're doing amongst us. All the stories in this room of your grace and mercy and the way in which you sustain and strengthen And that we get to see that and share that together. And so I want to ask that as a church, you would give us that trembling joy, that that delight, that awe at your work amongst us. We ask this for your glory and the praise of your son, Jesus. Amen.